five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome back to the Bounty Guild Podcast, The Mandalorian Season 3 is now over, it's been some time, but let's jump into this thing, let's talk about The Mandalorian Season 3. Uh, What I was expecting and what I refer to as a two-part finale, even though it's not titled that way, we know it's based off of chapters. Each chapter has its own individual title, but it it definitely felt like a two-part chapter. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, two-part finale (laughs) split between two chapters. So let's jump right into it. Um, For chapter 23, The Spies... Uh, Both of the final two chapters were directed by Rick Famuia. John and Dave wrote chapter 23. Favreau was the only one that wrote chapter 24. So we kind of knew heading into it that uh, Dave wasn't going to be writing as many episodes as seasons pass since he's got his hands full with Ahsoka and I know Favreau was writing some of, of Skeleton Crew. So there's been a lot on their plate that they're working with. I mean, it's just part of the business when you get that big. Higher expectations, uh, split budgets, and we'll probably get into the whole budget thing uh, on a different different episode of the podcast. Because there's a lot to talk about as far as that goes. Uh, there was a little tidbit from... Uh, more Morrison about that whole thing, but I'm not trying to get off topic here, so let's go ahead and throw it back into The Mandalorian Season 3, uh, again, what I call a two-part finale here. So, we got The Spies, Chapter 23. I really enjoyed this chapter. Um, if I were to kind of give it a 1 out of 10 grade scale, I would say that was definitely a 10 out of 10 episode. Uh, really no gripes on that one. Uh, nothing to really complain about. I thought it was written very well. I had just enough, and it tied everything in. Um, it pretty much opened up with the return, the long-awaited return of Moff Gideon in The Mandalorian Season 3. I'm surprised that they kind of waited that long to bring Gideon back. They probably could have tied it in a little bit more. Um, in earlier episodes, I mean... A two-minute scene, I don't think, would have really hurt anybody. Just, uh, you know, have have it a little more uh, streamlined as far as the storytelling goes. But 
it was really nice to see uh, the lower levels where, where all the scum hang out. Of course, on you see the neon lights, the, the rain. A rainy Coruscant is such a beautiful sight. Um, it just takes you right back to Revenge of the Sith when... Uh, oh, sorry, we're kicking around Spotchka here. Um, when uh, Anakin is being pretty much hauled in into the uh, Imperial Infirmary uh, when he's burnt to a crisp and the rain's just hitting his body. And you know damn well that hurts, man. Coruscant, I'll tell you what, man. Coruscant looks like it's just a pretty polluted city. So, you know, you know damn well that rain hurt all those open burn wounds that Anakin had. But uh, Rainy Coruscant is a beautiful sight. Um, overall, this episode is one of the best visual episodes. This and Chapter 24, I think, of The Mandalorian. Um, whether they filmed it in the volume or it was more of a on-site or real set for Mandalore. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what, what the decision was and how they shot everything. And I think that'll be revealed when we get the gallery episodes. There's no release date. There's no announcement for it. I was hoping it would have come out for uh, May the 4th. But we're going to get Star Wars Visions instead. So I would say it'll probably come out maybe end of May, early June. Or middle of June before Secret Invasion, uh, the next Marvel series, hits Disney+. Plus. So I, this season is going to be one that I'm really interested in. And I hope they don't shortchange us with the gallery. I hope it's a nice long, you know, hour and a half, two hour special on the behind the scenes of the season but back to the spies um really cool to see Gideon uh first thing that did stand out to me was the whole mustache thing I mean I, a lot of people kind of bit on it um during the reveal from chapter 24 when we saw his his clones and there's a whole speculation as far as whether or not he is dead or alive and we'll get into that towards the end of it but that did stand out to me right away i was like all right he shaved he cleaned himself up remember keep in mind it has been at least a year year and a half since we've last seen gideon and who knows when he would have been broken out i mean we don't know how long his absence was or when when the shuttle would have been hijacked um we pretty much get the introduction and the reveal of the Shadow Council. So something else that they're pulling from the uh, novels, uh, some Legends influence there. But it's it was one of the coolest scenes, I think, that we've had this season. Just seeing all the Imperials get together. Um, we see the father of General Hux, which was a cool little... I wouldn't even say... You know, again, I'm, I'm going to keep bringing this up because you keep seeing it online. People keep talking about it. Like, these aren't cameos. They're telling a full story. So, it was nice to see Hux being included in this because it only makes sense. Uh, for those that may or may not have read the Captain Phasma novel, uh, it's a good one. I recommend it. It just kind of shows how the First Order had recruited Captain Phasma uh, from her home planet. Uh, it's really cool. She's pretty much like a... 
like Amazon warrior style um, fighter for her tribe. And Hux is pretty much the one that recruits her. So they like crash land and stuff. And I'm pretty sure it's, it's still some ways from that. But spoiler alert here, um, General Hux pretty much kills his dad. So will we see that on screen? Who knows? Maybe that's something that they can include later down the line in future seasons of whether it's a Mandalorian, Ahsoka, or the Filoni film, whenever it comes out. Uh, from here, we pretty much get one of the sickest shots of the Imperial Light Cruiser that the Mandalorians had hijacked. Um, that was a really cool scene. But but before I go further, sorry. Uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. How could I forget? Grand Admiral Thrawn is being set up here. Um, he seems to be the head of the council. Everyone's waiting for him. It doesn't really sound like they're all in direct communication with Thrawn. Everyone's waiting on the return of Thrawn. Um, just kind of hinting to the heir of the Empire type of thing. Uh, there's a lot of we'll say theories and predictions going into what role Thrawn is going to play in Ahsoka and in this whole um, Mandoverse because I think now more than ever it it's going to be tied into a lot of I wouldn't say the Skywalker saga but a lot of what we know within the Star Wars time frame within the the stories that have been told in the feature films, so uh, it's all going to be put together. Um, I I was expecting him, <laughs> honestly. I was expecting to at least see him, and maybe in this episode, but he it wasn't necessary. Um, I don't think it was necessary. I feel like whenever there's multiple villains in different shows, um, it, it can get a little bit messy. It can get a little sloppy and. For someone like uh, Giancarlo Esposito, you you got to utilize him. And I, I think it just plays into the show's strength that Gideon is the true villain of the series. Mm-hmm. And the whole Thrawn introduction is just letting you know, like, where he is um, within the, the whole imperial uh, hierarchy. So... Just the name drop, I think, is is cool again. Um, it sounds like it's just going to be part of the Mandalorian. Uh, it's just going to be some some Thrawn name drops. So, from here, we jump to Navarro. And we get that cool shot of the uh, light cruiser. I was going to say star cruiser. The, the light cruiser um, flying in through Navarro. Uh, you got the mythosaur just painted on the bottom of it. Uh, pretty sick shot. So from here, you get the cool sequence. Um, the episode title really threw everybody off because everyone was already assuming or going into it. Like like me personally, I thought Bogotan was going to kind of be the, the villain of season three and somewhat and be fighting against Din and Death Watch. But um, just... The the season's kind of theme and what it stands for is essentially uh, just breaking old traditions and unification, and we'll get into that more uh, once we discuss the the overall end of it. But from here, I mean, we got one of the I think the the coolest ways to bring back IG Eleven. Uh, we get. 
the IG-11 Grogu suit. That scene was awesome, and I think that that was perfect. I mean, you you can't you can't disagree with it. Uh, I thought it was the perfect little uh, comedy relief for the episode. It was hilarious just listening to him. Yes. 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 Just button smash away, dude. So that was really cool. I really hope that and they're going to, but I I hope they they get some cool merchandise out quickly on that because. I'm going to buy everything, you know. Um, from there, we know they go back to Mandalore, and it's pretty much um, them finding out. And I kind of had this this um, this thought when, when they go back to Mandalore, and they discover and they find out that Gideon's pretty much been there the entire time, like right under their nose. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Um, I was thinking of that when you saw the uh I don't I don't think they're they're named yet. I need to double check the credits, but they look like Imperial Commandos. Um Gideon refers to them as the new dark troopers. They they're obviously in Beskar armor. Um when they showed that screen with the with the ray shields, good old Phantom Menace callback, uh, the red ray shields and they were standing side by side. And I'm like, dude, what if that's Mandalore? I was already thinking that I was like, he's there, he turned it into a base. It would kind of make sense because you can't get any radio transmission. Everyone thinks it's inhabitable. They're just kind of spreading that rumor around. And that whole thing really drove, I think, and, and led a lot of people to believe that, you know, tying it back to the villain thing, um, that either Bo-Katan or the armor were the quote-unquote spies. Uh, Axe Wolves might have been the spy. And... I mean, a lot of people, it, it, it was fun. It was a fun week trying to guess and expecting, okay, who's going to stab him in the back, whether it was the survive uh, the survivor Mandalorians that were there on the little sailboat thing that they had. That was pretty cool, too. It, it did kind of feel uh, kind of like a Mad Max-style influence, too. Um, I, I really loved this episode. This episode as a whole was really good. Um just the the mention of the Praetorian Guards and then seeing them in live action. Different armor. They were a little more Mandalorian influenced as far as the T-Visor goes. But um, we we lose Paz Vizsla. Uh, we'll have a spotchka for him. Rest in peace to Paz. But such such a cool way to, to incorporate and, and really show... You know how strong the the Praetorian guards are and how much of a threat they are. Um, it it just you know strengthens that intimidation that they carry. And it's nice seeing these types of um, characters, I guess, actually do something because a a lot of the times you get such a cool character design, such a cool armor design, and they don't do they don't do anything. <laughs> like Captain Phasma, completely wasted. The Force Awakens. That was my biggest gripe with The Force Awakens. Is you have Phasma, a cool backstory to her armor. For those of you that don't know, that armor is built out of the um, Naboo yacht, the spaceship Palpatine's uh, Naboo spaceship. So that's that's cool. But I wish she would have done more. Um, she's cool and fun to use in Battlefront too, but. That's pretty much all you get out of Phasma. And yeah, she has her little fight and stuff with Finn and 
Rose, but I would have liked to have seen more. Uh, same thing with the Coruscant Guards from the prequels, uh, Imperial Royal Guards in Return of the Jedi. Um, we, they just stand there, they sell merchandise, they're hard to collect toys and put money in people's pockets when they show up. Well, Force Friday or whatever it was called, I, I forgot off the top of my head because it's been so long since they've done one. Uh, all the collectors, they would just take them all, you know, they put one of those per case. 15 Rose Tico's one Praetorian Guard and you know it anyways it it's nice to see them actually you know do some work and kill someone uh fortunately it had to be passed but that is one of the biggest things I think with the Mandalorian in itself is a lot of these characters are, are pretty much safe uh people were predicting the armor might die Bo-Katan might die um We'll, we'll get into the whole Din Djarin thing um, when we cross over to chapter 24. But pretty much just to, to kind of set the record straight on that. Um, the episode title. The Spies. The Spies is basically derived and it gets its influence just as this entire season has been. Uh, just from past human history. Uh, some uh, biblical stories and uh Again, religion history. Uh, the spies refers to pretty much a scout group going back to their homeland. Um, it is of a Jewish descent, Jewish uh, influence. So, could they have picked a better episode title? Maybe the scouts instead. Sure, it's not a big deal. I I think it was kind of fun though, like kind of going into that speculation. But the number one killer for Star Wars is people's expectations because people expect something it doesn't happen and they're so mad about it when no one even said anything about it so it is what it is can't do anything about it so once we you know get that kind of cliffhanger ending of din being captured passive is like just getting destroyed by the praetorian guards which i i love that fight sequence when you know he's left behind this is the way Leaves his line and his gun starts overheating. Uh, I thought that whole sequence was cool. So it it was a nice episode. I think that viewers as as a whole across the board needed. Whether you're a casual, hardcore fan, whatever the case is, um, that episode was awesome. And I think it was probably the the strongest one of the season. Um, that one, and I I love the pirate. I mean, I said it like 30 times in the last episode, but uh, the pirate, that episode was, was too good. Um, but just as far as like the overall story goes and everything, tying everything in, I think this one was probably the best of this season. So moving into chapter 24, The Return. When they showed this, uh, chapter 24, The Return on, on the TV screen, um... Again, man, just set your expectations. Be realistic with them. Um, a lot of people probably assumed that it was going to be the return of Thrawn. We were going to see Thrawn in the finale. Uh, that did cross my mind. It did, but I'm not going to hold it against them. Uh, chapter title basically is referring to the return to Mandalore. Uh, the return of the Mandalorian people uh, pretty much to the galaxy. Um, as we all know, and Bogotan says it herself in this chapter, 
the Mandalorians are strongest when they're together, when they're united. So, I thought the episode was good. Um, I think it did suffer from a little bit of pacing, just kind of on the back half. I think it definitely could have been longer to kind of extend some of these scenes out. But, man, the first... That first sequence of the episode, um, you know, people... So, when Mando pretty much breaks free and escapes, um, it's... he. People were upset because there was no, like, interrogation. Obviously, he doesn't take his helmet off in this episode, now that we've seen it. Uh, which, I'll, I'll get into that at the end, too. Um, but... It, it's basically for for this story. So he's pretty much gets captured just to fall behind enemy lines to be able to have that face off with Moff Gideon. So he gets out. People are like, "Oh, well, how did Grogu? How did Grogu find Din? How did he know he was there? Like, why didn't they show that? Why didn't they show that, dude? They could have showed 15 seconds of it. It's not that big of a deal. Um, it's like here's a comparison." We know from this episode, and we know from what we've seen when we were introduced to Grogu, to now, he's very strong in the Force. Very strong in the Force. I'm, I'm sure it, it speaks to why they want his blood, why they want to capture him. This uh, Yoda species is naturally strong in the Force. Uh, maybe there's people that think that Grogu might be a manifestation from the Force similar to Anakin. Um, maybe he doesn't have his parents, but they kind of hint that at the end too, and we'll we'll get into that later on. But he's he's strong in the force, and the same way in Empire Strikes Back when Leia knows where Luke is, yeah, he's calling out to her because it's it's the movie came out in the eighties, and you know it's it it's that style movie. But come on, like he's. He has a force. He has a connection with Din. We know this. So he was able to track him down. Comes into the rescue. Uh, he gets his, you know, suit going. And just starts hammering away. Alright, I need a faster soundboard. That's a little slow. But we're working on it. We're working on it, man. We're working on it. We're working through the cracks. But anyways... Uh, he comes in, saves the day, and this whole sequence, man, my heart was racing because you know they're not gonna they're not gonna kill any major character, but it's it's hard not to let your mind slip to that. Like, what if they do raise the stakes? And everyone knows how much drama there is with Disney, Lucasfilm actors writers directors and there's always drama behind the scenes so you never know what the hell's going on what's going to happen um to be completely honest just to i guess share my take on what i was going through what i was feeling uh watching that episode um pedro pedro's got the last of us it's a very very successful show i don't know the viewership numbers it it honestly might be more than the Mandalorian um there I I don't think Pedro shot many scenes if any in the actual suit because you got uh, Brendan Wayne and Latif Crowder Santos being credited for the first time really with all the the major cast 
at the end of each chapter. Uh, which kudos to them because they they really do pretty much all the heavy work. I know Pedro does the voiceover and everything, and it is pretty tough to you know not act it out. But you know it is what it is. So the the reason why I bring this up is I people were already talking about whether or not this show was going to be transitioning the Mandalorian being Din Djarin's story to Bogotan's story, um, which I think was kind of like fun speculation as well. You don't have to take it that serious. I don't think that's the goal. And I think this episode proved it, that it, it wasn't the goal. It's just, you know, part of the storytelling that they chose to do this season. But there was that thought in my head where I'm like, well, what if they do kill him off? What if they do kill Din? And Grogu's forced to either go back to Luke or, you know, ride along with Bo-Katan. I mean, I didn't overthink it at that point, but I don't know. I just kind of had that possibility like, shoot, what if what if they do kill him? You know, what if something happens? You know, so what if he loses a limb? You know, it's it's Star Wars, man. And speaking of that, man, we haven't had anyone lose any limbs in Star Wars since, what, Anakin got his arm cut off? Nothing happened to Finn, nothing happened to Poe, nothing happened to Rey. Not even Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren got shot. I mean, what, they, they could have chopped off Chewbacca's arm and given him a robotic hand or something, you know? We need more limbs lost in Star Wars now. But... <laughs> the the safety of din was was up there so my anxiety was kicking in i was like you know heart racing i was on the edge of my seat throughout this entire battle sequence and just going back to the previous episode i'm like okay so who's going to who's going to backstab them you know is axe going to get in the, the light cruiser and just dip or you know what's going to happen is the armor going to reveal that she made a deal with gideon and him be back, Sam, you know? And by the way, I haven't mentioned this uh, in the episode discussion so far. Um, the Mandalorian suit that Moff Gideon had was freaking sick. It did have the horns. I think it was just mainly to look cool. That was another big theory as far as whether or not there's any type of Darth Maul tie-in. Bro, Darth Maul, just leave him alone, man. He's dead. He's gone. Just, yeah, that's enough. That's enough, dude. It was already a big enough reach to bring him back after he got cut in half. I mean, he, don't get me wrong. He's an awesome character, and I, I love the story. But there, that's it, dude. Just let the past die, you know? He's gone. So, he had the horns, got his suit. Obviously, it is a little robo-mechanic. Uh, that's why he's a little more powerful than Din, catching his, his punches, his fists. And they were going toe-to-toe, man. They were squaring off. And then once the Praetorian guards roll in and then they play their little um, epic vocal music, I was like, oh, shit, man. Here we go. Here we go. Edge of my seat. And then, of course, they have to corner Grogu. Or um, they pretty much get Din in the same position that they had uh, Paz Vizla. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, what's going to happen? Are they going to kill him? What's going to happen? And then, of course, you get the... And I have never seen Grogu's face any more angry than that. And he is charging in to save his dad. And he's just going for it. And once he started getting cornered, that's when I was like, oh, man. This was this was intense. You know, I really felt it. And this whole 
episode, chapter 24, um, I do think chapter 23 was a little stronger as far as, again, the pacing, but this felt like a movie. Like, chapter 24, to me, really felt like it belonged on the big screen. It felt like a feature film. It looked beautiful, and it it just took you right to the climax of the movie. And I'm, I'm so excited for the Filoni film. Give them a higher budget to work with. They could really make something happen. Let them take their time with it, and man, we're gonna we're gonna get something awesome with that. Um, they were just going back and forth, transitioning screen wipes, everything. Uh, the little clock thing. I'm the last film class I took was like eight years ago, so I forgot what the transition is called when the it looks like a clock and it moves. But <laughs> they do that a lot, and the jetpack fight sequence was so cool to seeing in live action i mean people are gonna complain about everything i thought it looked perfect dude i thought it looked fine i mean everyone says the original trilogy is their favorite and i mean you look at the endor speeder bike sequence and you could tell man it just it is what it is i mean i know it's back then but still i think the jetpack sequence was really awesome that move that Cosca Reeves pulled was so sick where she kind of glides off the platform, uses the knee rocket, spins under. That was super cool. She's such a talented actress and uh, wrestler that I think they could utilize her, her skills a lot more. So it was cool to see that. Um, the armor just hammering away, bashing in Imperial Beskar skulls with her with her helmet. Uh, an interesting thing also, just overall, since we're talking about kind of the combat here, and we'll get back to the fight sequence of Grogu Din, the Praetorians, and Gideon in just a second, but the fight sequences, um, were really cool because Gideon gave the Imperials, and I think it really shows like a flaw, the entire flaw with the Empire that they've had since the original trilogy, they lost their freaking Ewoks in Return of the, in Return of the Jedi. Uh, they invest in their Beskar armor, they give them everything, but they're still Stormtroopers at the end of the day, and they don't know how to fight against Mandalorians in their Beskar armor. I mean, they're just shooting them, hitting them right in the, the chest plate and everything, using the flamethrower recklessly, where when Din is fighting them, he's hitting their, their weak points. And that's something that you could pay attention to if you rewatch it. But he he's exploiting because he knows he's been trained. And if you go back to uh, chapter twenty, the Foundling, um, if you go back to it, that whole training sequence it, it foreshadows this, and it shows them you know going to blows and hitting the weak spots, the vulnerable spots where uh, the Mandalorian warrior isn't in. Uh, in Beskar, in, in that part of the body, so it, I think it just showed, and you know, fast forward to this, it, it showed how they were able to take him down, so that's a cool little tidbit, um, I think, you know, as the season overall went, it, it's definitely, to me, more of a bingeable season than the first two, just the way the storytelling was, the pacing of it, this is definitely a bingeable one, I haven't had the chance to do it yet, but I'm definitely going to go ahead, sit through, and watch them all. Um, season two for me was more week to week, and then season one was, you know, just an experience in itself because we didn't know what to expect. But uh, back to the face-off with Grogu 
and the Praetorian guards, uh, once they took out his legs and everything, I was like, oh man, what's going to happen? I mean, are they going to capture him? I know they're not going to kill Grogu, but I don't know, man. It's just like, let yourself enjoy the shows, enjoy the movies, man. Too many people are like, well, you know he's not going to die. Yeah, but like, why shortchange yourself? Why do that to yourself, you know? It's like, people that watch wrestling, they know it's fake, they know it's scripted, but just let them enjoy the magic, you know? And I think that's what was the main theme of this this season as well, is just the, the Star Wars magic that George Lucas introduced, the magic that we felt sitting crisscross applesauce on a tube TV, popping in our VHS, watching the original trilogy. That's what we grew up on. Uh, for those that came, you know, uh, prequel trilogy, you know, shining the DVD on your stomach, you know damn well that disc was scratched up. It would skip at some parts, but you would do your best to try and clean it up. Just sit there and watch, man. Enjoy. That's what, that's what this is about. That's what Star Wars is about. And I feel like the finale really drove home on that, is just cultivating the magic of Star Wars and how special it is to, to everyone and just bringing this season back to that bond that Din and Grogu have. And that is a driving force of the Mandalorian success. Uh, maybe they went a little bit too far as far as casual fans go. Why viewership may have been down a little bit is because it, it did tie into the overarching story of Star Wars and not just the feature films, but really into the animated shows. And as, you know, super fans, as Star Wars cultists, as members of, of the Watch, Children of the Watch, you know, Filoni's Watch, we loved it, but this show is at its best when it focuses on the relationship between Din and Grogu. And I think between this entire fight sequence... Those emotions, you know, were were coming out. I I didn't I I didn't drop I didn't drop a tear. This one, <laughs> this wasn't like the the season two finale. The emotions were there, but it just kind of felt a little different. Um, but once once uh, Mando came in and you know made pretty short work of the Praetorian guards. Keep in mind, he only did that because Grogu was able to use a force and protect him. It's a three on one fight. You know, I think hand to hand combat. Paz Vizza probably could have taken out one of the Praetorian Guards. Uh, Din definitely could have. Um, he might have gotten away with getting all three if it was, you know, just him without Grogu. But in that state, he had just fought Gideon. I don't think it was going to happen. But just seeing them just go hand-in-hand -hand fight, Grogu jumping around, reminding us of the first time we saw Yoda in action at Attack of the Clones premiere night, just spinning, doing flips, stuff that he trained with Luke. Not all of it has to be shot on scene. Like, people, we got one episode of Luke and Grogu training, and, you know, it was over a year. But we know that. You, it's it's shown in this. They reference this in Chapter 23 when Grogu comes in and he hits... When Axe Wolves and Paz Vizsla start going at it. And he's like, he didn't learn that from me. That's... It's right there for you, man. It's right there. So, I... It... Man, that that whole sequence was 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 fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Bo comes in, saves Din 
from the fight with Gideon to allow him to go save Grogu from the Praetorian Guards. Uh, the Gideon and Bo-Katan face-off was really good, too. Um, I was on the edge of my seat on that one as well. I was kind of thinking, I'm like, shoot, what if he disarms her, picks up the Darksaber, and this is it for Bo-Katan. That was a possibility, too. And then, obviously, Grogu and Din come to the rescue. Axe Wolves does a little uh, Haldo maneuver crash landing and it's just funny because when we do see a Gideon perish he he's dies in an explosion like he does in Breaking Bad at Gustavo Fring spoilers for anyone that hasn't seen it but I I think it's just any any show that uh Giancarlo's in he's he's just gonna die via explosion but whether he's dead or not we'll we'll tie that in and I haven't brought up the whole cloning thing for that reason, and we'll get into it too. But right here, once you know Grogu uses a Force, another callback to what he did to stop the fire from the Pyro Stormtrooper in Season 1, when he saves them in Chapter 8, um, you just see how strong he is. And for those that never watched Rebels, an explosion... Not even of that magnitude. This explosion, I think, was a lot stronger and probably generated more shockwaves. Yeah, I'm going to get technical. I'm going to go into it. Uh, generated more shockwaves than the one that Kanan Jarrus tried to shield himself from and shield uh, Hera from and Ezra in Rebels. It's it's very similar situation, Um Kanan, when he does it, he's unable to hold, and and that's what ends up killing him. Uh, Grogu, I mean, keep in mind, you know, he's at this point, you know, probably like 55 years old, 58 years old. Uh, he's strong in the Force. He's had to hide his powers, but he's getting stronger and stronger, and he doesn't get as exhausted or as sleepy as he used to when he would use a Force like in uh, Season 1. So that just shows, you know, how strong he is and how powerful Grogu can be. And it's, it's a little scary. It is. It really is. So, from there, we kind of get this this transition of... That's why I say it kind of feels like a movie. Because we get this transition of the battle ends, and then it's just like, rejoice. Like, a happy ending. Which, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it just... It went a little too quick for me. It was just a little too fast. Just that turnover from there to there. Uh, we do see them ignite and light the Great Forge. Uh, Mando goes back. IG-11 is back as the Marshal, which is really cool. I'm glad that we get to see him back, hopefully, in future projects. Um, I would love to see him and Carl Weathers come back for Skeleton Crew. Maybe they come do an episode there. Uh, Din Jaren doesn't have to be there. He might not, just for, you know, budget reasons. Uh, he's... Off with the with uh, with Din Grogu, doing something else. But we get the return of him. Um, oh yeah, before we we do that and we end on the Iris shot, we do get the Mandalorian baptism sequence. And from here, I think it's just showing the birth of a new people, the birth of the new Mandalorians. Uh, during the fight with Gideon and Bo-Katan, 
Um, I forgot to mention earlier, obviously, the death, the destruction of the Darksaber. And the Darksaber, I think, was, you know, I think that was the whole point of it. Like, people, I've seen her reacting to it like, oh, the Darksaber, that was such a waste. They built up all this hype about it all season just for it to be destroyed. And that's the point. I think that was the entire point of it is it was this flaw where, you know, you have to have the Darksaber to lead the people. And it was just kind of a, a distraction for them. It obviously didn't work. Maybe the Darksaber was what was really cursed. Um, it's just, you know, goes into that theme of unification and, and breaking old norms and old traditions that you know, history shows didn't work. Uh, I, I think it was the right move for it to just be destroyed. I hope they don't do the whole rebuild of it, you know. Uh, they don't fight like siblings over you broke my toy and I'm going to rebuild it, kind of like the Anakin lightsaber from Rise of Skywalker. You know, no, I'll stop there. Um, <laughs> but I think it... It really helped push this storyline forward and and show um, that it wasn't it wasn't necessary. It wasn't really needed, and I think that really shows Bo-Katan's journey. Um, not as much in this season. Uh, you would really have to watch the cartoons, I think, to really understand and kind of respect what direction they went with her character in this season. They could have spent a little more time overall in this season just kind of showing why the Death Watch and why the Night Owls and her faction of Mandalorians hated each other. Just a couple scenes, uh, maybe some more lines that could have helped just for casual viewers to really show, you know, they don't really get along. And to show them uniting as one and reclaiming Mandalore, I think would have been a bigger payoff had they built that up just a little bit more just a bit more and i think the season overall was just a little a little more would have done well and i think a lot of it has to do with just how it was written and how they decided to tell these stories i don't really care that much i mean it's awesome to see but i don't really care that much as far as the story goes whether or not ezra was going to show up uh, early predictions for me was, oh, maybe Grogu's going to lead into Ezra. They'll introduce Ezra just to do that carryover for the Ahsoka series. And the only really carryover we had was was Zeb having his his appearance. Uh, more New Republic involvement. Obviously, the, the Shadow Council, um, Thrawn being hinted at again. But I'm actually surprised that they didn't show a little bit more that we didn't see Ahsoka, which... It's also cool because it's. I think it's trying to show too that it's it's going to be its own thing, to some extent. Um, I don't think we're really going to dive into uh, connectivity of it just yet. Maybe that might be done in Skeleton Crew, but who knows? Who knows? Again, just don't set yourself up for you know a giant clash of characters yet. They're saving that for the big movie, I believe. But this season, I mean. From there, Mandalore's United. Uh, we apparently get the official confirmation that Din adopts Grogu as his own. He's now officially his son, I guess, through the courts. Through the Star Wars courts, he could claim him on his uh, galactic uh, 
New Republic credit taxes now. He's a dependent. He's going to get a nice tax break from those bounties. He's going to be cashing, working with Carson Tiba. So, Din Grogu. Everyone is freaking out about the name Din Grogu. Well, I thought Din was his first name. Think of it like this. Din is a family. We know Din is a family. He doesn't really have true people or true bloodline in the group he's in with the Children of the Watch. And that's pointed out by Axe Wolves. We know this. It's been told from season one to now. You know, he's a family. So I would just say the same way Snow is used in Game of Thrones to pretty much call someone out that they're a bastard child, like Jon Snow, I think Din is the title for that. So Din Djarin, um, maybe he never had a first name. Maybe... Din is just what they call him because of that. And Jaren is like a, a given or his first name. I don't know. See, now, now I'm overthinking it. But <laughs> anyways, we'll, we'll just call it that. I look at it that way that Din is just used for family. So Din Grogu, Din Jaren, a clan of two. Again, a callback to chapter eight, season one. And a lot of people were kind of like, well, his whole story was to go back Go back to Mandalore, do this, do that. But he never wanted that. He doesn't want the Mandalorian throne. He, Yeah, he wanted to go check it out, but that's not him. Him, Din Djarin that we know is based out of Navarro. And I think that that's a beautiful character arc going from where we started, where we, where we were first introduced to this character in Chapter 1 on Navarro. Going back to it with Grief Karga. He has his own little homestead there. Uh, ends with a beautiful Irish shot. No end credit scene, but it's all good. You know, it's it's nice to have happy endings in Star Wars too. Uh, not everything has to be so evil. Um, a New Hope was a nice happy ending. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, obviously, you know, the villain wins, which is pretty cool. Return of the Jedi, happy ending. You have some solace in that. Um, Phantom Menace is... Phantom Menace was weird because that ending, it ended with a celebration and a happy ending, but it was actually, like, that that was a loss because Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon Jinn loses and Palpatine's, he's on the rise. So I don't consider Phantom Menace, Phantom Menace is kind of like a, a front, it's fake, it's a fake happy ending. Attack of the Clones is kind of supposed to have that happy ending because Anakin and Padme get married, they get together... But we know how it ends. And Revenge of the Sith obviously is not a happy ending by any means. Um, it's very tragic. So, uh, episode, or chapter 16, um, The Rescue, obviously, it's that's a mix of emotions too. That one's all over the place. Chapter 8, I think, was was kind of like a happy ending style too. Um, but, I mean, it, it, was, it was good to see. So, I mean, overall, I think I would rate this season pretty much like an 8 out of 10, 8.2 out of 10. Um, it did have its weak spots, I think, and a lot of it, I think, just has to do with the runtime. I, I I know it's part of the formula, I know it's part of the magic, but I would really like longer episodes, personally. Um, they just go by so quick, too quick, and it's a lot to condense and squeeze into. And again, I, I mean, as someone that talks about this himself i 
you shouldn't expect Game of Thrones dialogue, Breaking Bad dialogue, uh, Better Call Saul dialogue, where they're going to go on a little soliloquy for, you know, five minutes. Um, it's it's Star Wars, you know. But just a couple more, you know, here and there lines could really strengthen the story. I'm not talking about, like, the little things where Grogu finds Din Djarin, but I'm just saying, like, to get, like, a bigger payoff, they're... There could be a little bit more that they do show or give to fans and give to the audience. But it was a great season. I think the final two chapters really helped kind of rescue it um, from it being worse than what it would have been. But overall, I mean, season three came and went. It went by so fast. Um Really excited for Ahsoka. I'm so glad we don't have to wait that long to get Ahsoka. We just got to get through the summer. And then late summer, heading into the fall, we'll be wrapping things up with Ahsoka. And then Skeleton Crew is going to come out this year as well, 2023. So it shouldn't be that long of a wait for Skeleton Crew as well. Uh, A lot of stuff is going to start coming and coming and coming for Star Wars. So really excited about that. Um... Again, man, this was a cool season, and I I think a lot of it had to do with just the whole behind-the-scenes stuff, so we'll kind of wrap it up with behind-the-scenes Disney stuff. Um, Tamar Morrison was at a convention in New Zealand, pretty much came out, said he was waiting for the call. He was supposed to be in Season 3, never got the call, uh, says... You know, things are pretty much going on with Disney. Uh, He's not in the position to kind of negotiate for more money. So, you know, kudos to him. Um, He knows his worth. He gave him Book of Boba Fett. And he's a beloved character. He's a beloved uh, person within the fan base. Fans love him. So, it's only right for him to, to try and get his own. But even then, I mean, I'm not really sure where a Boba Fett inclusion would have fit in this season. The way it was written. I mean, maybe just even Pelimoto only came out for that that small part. Um, I was hoping to get an announcement for Book of Boba Fett season two, but it sounds like their Disney as a whole is kind of struggling with the Disney Plus platform and profit wise. But I mean, that's going to be the future of streaming. I think Disney Plus, even at ten dollars, given the category that they give out, is still kind of cheap. To be completely honest with you, us fans, the hardcore fans, they could charge us 20 bucks a month and we're still going to pay the damn thing. So it is what it is. You know, call us Disney shills if you want. I mean, it's just streaming is going to be the new cable anyways. So there's only a couple more years of it. Everything's going to start changing soon as industry as a whole. And I mean, what this has to do with Star Wars, I think, is just kind of obvious and showing how much we're going to get out of these stories. Um, it looks like the way Book of Boba Fett ended with Cobb Vance's return being teased, um, him pretty much being the daimyo of Mos Espa. I think it was supposed to happen, but now they're just playing it a little bit more careful and maybe they're going to put some eggs into a different basket, but we'll see what happens. Um, all right, screw it. Let's get into this. So, Following Star Wars Celebration, there were rumors that 
Kathleen Kennedy and John Favreau were kind of butting heads. Um, there were some calls up top from Lucasfilm with what to incorporate in the Book of Boba Fett. And I talked about this. Go back, listen to my uh, Book of Boba Fett finale reaction where the move to reunite Grogu and Din was a little premature, especially coming off such an ending from The Mandalorian Season 2. Nothing's been confirmed as far as what's been said by Lucasfilm or Favreau, but there's rumors that are coming out from more reputable sources that they did butt heads a little bit as far as having influence into what Favreau should do and what he's supposed to do going into season three. Sounds like they wanted Grogu and Din to have already been united to kick off season three. Obviously, Grogu is a driving force in the Mandalorian success. Merchandising-wise, Grogu's everywhere. I mean, people that don't even watch Star Wars know who Baby Yoda is. He's he's like the, the Pikachu of Star Wars now, you know? People don't really know Pokemon, but they know Pikachu. Um, people don't know Nintendo. They know Super Mario. They know who he is. So he's he's become that, you know, figure for modern Star Wars. Um, so it makes business sense as far as why they would need to include him. I mean, I think it was just kind of like the panic button. And, you know, I, I said this pretty much in verbatim. Why would you want to bench your LeBron James? You got to have him out there on the field. You got to have him on the court. So that's who Grogu is. He's their their rock star. He's their their number one player right now in, in the face of Star Wars. So I get that. I just think they, they could have done it a little bit better. And it sounds like Book of Boba Fett really kind of hurt the um why am I blanking out on this hurt the relationship that's the that's the dumb word I got hooked up on uh hurt the relationship with with Favreau and Kathleen Kennedy um rumors are he may want out of Star Wars might you know go knock on Marvel's door again to come back into it Marvel is going through the struggle bus as well uh not that everything has been horrible or bad it's just the expectations that have been set, you know, just before COVID and the pandemic has changed things in the industry as well. Uh, just kind of bouncing back. I think the world as a whole is still kind of going through this recovery phase. And I mean, you could say it's over, but, you know, I, I think everyone was affected by it in its own way. And I think companies across the board have been affected by it in its own way. So just some growing pains that we're dealing with post recovery pains. Um, I really hope they get everything worked out, get everything situated. And it they just didn't feel so buddy-buddy, uh, happy-go-lucky at Celebration like they did in years past. And at the Celebration panel last year in Anaheim, you know, I talked about this multiple times, where they asked the question, the moderator asked the question to Favreau and Filoni, what... Like, what led into the decision? Why did you make the decision to reunite Din and Grogu in the Book of Boba Fett? And they danced around the question. They did dance around it. And once they danced around it, I was like, okay, yeah, it was it was a call from up top. So it, it's kind of sad to see that it, it might, you know, it could jeopardize Favreau um, for future Star Wars projects. And Filoni is the only one 
that was named in that movie. So it could have been the both the both of them, the both of them, but I guess not. We'll see what happens. I mean, until something officially comes out, I just you know, I I felt a little more optimistic coming out of celebration this year than years past when they do all these announcements of things that are supposed to come out and it just doesn't happen. So I think it did kind of hinder season three a little bit as far as what direction to go with. The whole Carl Dune, Rangers of the New Republic thing had to be squeezed into this as well. So I think there was just a lot to juggle with season three. Such high expectations, different pacing, different tone, but um, the overall story, and I mean, what we've been told about it, you go listen to John Carlos Esposito's take when he gives his hints about what season three about, you know, what, what are your favorite things, what Bo-Katan's about, or I'm sorry, what Katie Sackhoff said, uh, season three and, uh, Bo-Katan's journey's about, and it's just about, you know, hope. And you think about hope and Bo-Katan pretty much did a full 180. The armor did a full 180 as far as what their true beliefs were, what they wanted, and it's really letting your guard down, trusting and believing into one another and people as a whole, and I think that's the big takeaway from this. I mean, it goes beyond Star Wars at this point where, you know, I think over the last few years, people just need to understand, like, there's there's bigger things than what you grew up on or what you've been raised or told to do. I'm not saying to rebel against everything, but just to be a little bit more open-minded. And I think that could be said across the board, whether, you know, your religious beliefs are, what are your political beliefs are. I think that's the big takeaway from this season. And I think this season is going to age really well, especially once we have more finished things. I mean, it took how many years for Infinity War to happen in Marvel? How many years for Endgame for all those payoffs? So just looking at it in that sense, it's going to take some time, but you just look at the core values that were really expressed and what they said. I mean, they talked about magic. They talked about hope and, you know, unification. And you do see that. And, you know, people might... It's not a woke thing because it's not in your face type of thing. I think it's it's done very well and it's it's expressed very well especially if you want to do a deep dive into it i mean this season as a whole has so many religious callbacks religious influence um it's it's really interesting to to get a real breakdown on it um that's a little too much homework for me <laughs> to to dive into and do i am interested in it but to have to explain it to you guys i'm sorry that's it's that might be a little bit over budget for me but I just think it's it really did feel like it it ignites the the light, the magic, the fire that that Star Wars brings in, uh, especially you know for young kids that are growing up and this is their first take on Star Wars. This is their their first Star Wars experience. It's a great show to go ahead and you know be introduced to and see all those. Uh, core values just really be expressed so when they say all of that like yeah of course they're not going to say anything bad about the show but I don't think they were wrong I think they were they were nail on the head with that one um I think this was a special season and it's you rewatch it and I think it's it's going to be it's going to be even better than what it was week to week so that was my take on season three here the finale of it 
we're obviously going to talk about it more as we go along here. Uh, what's going on right now? We're going to get Visions Season 2. We got May the 4th coming up. I was able to go check out Return of the Jedi 40th Anniversary with someone I'm going to try and get on the podcast soon. Uh, he is a fellow Bounty Hunter, a member of the Bounty Guild. So we're going to get Az Vizsla on here. He's a member of the Vizsla clan, true heir, bloodline, everything in the Mandalorian culture. So we're going to get him on soon. We're going to make it happen. Uh, May the 4th is going to be a little bit weird. I want to do a Star Wars event. I'm not going to be able to go to Star Wars night, but I'll try and get some pictures, some videos up on the YouTube page. Uh, my my fiance is going to be there. So kudos to her to showing up. Going for Star Wars night. I'll be watching Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So, really looking forward to that. I love the Guardians franchise. But um, other than that, I still want to do a Celebration recap. There's so much to unpack from Celebration. They gave us a lot. And right now, we were Mandalorian-focused. There's so much going on with Mandalorian, especially this part of the season. We're going to go ahead, recap some Acolyte stuff. They talked a lot about the Acolyte. They talked a lot about uh, some of the other projects coming up, too. So, some higher public stuff. Going to be a lot of fun to go back, watch some stuff, take some notes, and, you know, have a, have a little more structure on that. So thank you very much, guys, for listening. Uh, we got a lot to look forward to. Again, thank you. May the Force be with you. Bad baby.